This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I should say host, but also realtors with Oakwind Realty in downtown Vancouver. And today we've got a fantastic show. We've got Dustin Woodhouse back on the program. Yeah, Dustin Woodhouse, past guest fan favorite for sure. Uh, yes. President of Mortgage Architects. And he's on, you know, I would say it's just good to have Dustin on, but uh, but also it coincided with yesterday's rate announcement by the Bank of Canada, right? He was in here on the 25th in the afternoon in Kokomo Studios. First time Dustin's ever been in the studio. Yes. And uh, and we talked rate hold, but we also talked general financial conditions in and around real estate. And um, yeah, it's not all roses. He's got a very interesting take on the market. And again, looking at it from the perspective of lending is something that, you know, we often talk just how, how the market's actually operating, but so many insights into into basically financing in this episode. Absolutely. And you know, the one thing I've been thinking about a lot is Dustin is one of those guys who who puts his neck out, right? He'll say what he thinks. I remember the early times we had him on the show, he was talking about fairly aggressive price appreciation. And we put it to him this time. Okay, we're in a totally different environment. What does the next five to 10 years look like? Because he, he was back in 2011, 2012, he was like, hey, your home's going to double. And right. it's going to do so within 10 years. And, and he, he was, was right. right. And he was right. So what does he think about the next 10? Stay tuned. Yeah, this is a great episode. Before we get to that, Matt, I should say we are sponsored by Scalina Real Estate, which is our real estate firm in Vancouver. And I, and we've got a great featured listing on VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com coming Monday. Right. This is an exciting one. This is super exciting. It is a like a junior two bed, I should say. It's, it's just shy 700 square feet, but two bed, one bath. And it's got a huge outdoor terrace, Grandview Woodlands. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't. I feel like you're burying the lead. This is like a block off of commercial drive. It's unreal. And uh, it's close to the SkyTrain. It's such a great, like, first-time homebuyer or young couple, even a young family, I think, could work. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the real nice thing is, yeah, you're a couple blocks from commercial. You're a couple blocks from the SkyTrain. So it's still residential feeling. And the outdoor space, like you don't see outdoor space like this every day. That's South for sure. facing, huge outdoor space. And the address is 103 1540 East 4th Ave. And that will be on VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, where, of course, we now have a featured listings section. We also have, of course, other resources like the Sold Plan. Yeah, Matt, the Sold Plan is our most downloaded document to date. This is a step-by-step guide for how to get your home sold in record time for top dollar. It's it's an amazing resource. And really, it's uh, sold stands for start on launch date. So you pick when you want to list your property, and it gives you steps to get your property ready for market. This is, it's based on years and years of experience, years of uh, selling a lot hundreds of Hundreds of homes, yeah. H- hundreds of homes. All you have to do, head to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You hit sell with us. It's an immediate download. And like you said, uh, 
man, the public is hungry for this because the down, it's it's a downloaded, highly downloaded document. That's free. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Matt, without further ado, this conversation with Dustin Woodhouse is fantastic. You're really going to, this is like, he's taller in person. He's taller in person. But this is, this is going to be one that people really, really enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Dustin Woodhouse, president of Mortgage Architects, past guest, fan favorite, uh, first time in studio. First time in Kokomo Studios. This is incredible. And first time, I think the three of us have actually met. And I, I joked with you on the on the way up that I feel like I'm meeting like a long lost pen pal. 10, 12 uh, years. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we've had like a 10 year relationship where I've never met you face to face. So this is uh, this is an honor. It proves my point. Uh, you know, I get people all the time say, oh, you can't build a relationship unless you're belly to belly, face to face. And I say, really? Give me a call. <laughs> Give me a call. We'll see. Right? So here we are. Fantastic. Well, well, for, for people who haven't heard you on the show, Dustin, or, or I guess who have been living under a rock, can you start by uh, telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely say the, uh, the comment there at the opening about fan favorite. Let's just put a little asterisk next to that because uh, I don't think I was anybody's favorite <laughs> for the past 18 months of uh, 10, quarter point, 10, 10 plus rate hikes. Um, yeah. You know what? My day-to-day job, the daytime job is uh, as president of Mortgage Architects, uh, Canada's fifth largest brokerage. I've got 2,000 agents that I try and keep motivated and out of trouble. Uh, across Canada. And uh, that makes for very, very busy days. And uh, previous to that, I suppose my claim to fame was authoring a, a few different books, a total of four, actually, mainly under the Be the Better Broker series. So, And those are not, I, I want to be clear, because when people in our industry write books, it, it often, you know, is like a, a pamphlet. Um, these or, are or, these things or are like a, a basically a business card. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this, this is like, these are legit books. These are legitimate like Bible size books. These were labors of love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wrote the first volume and it was 20 chapters and about 45,000 words. And I realized I'd only gotten started. And my father, I'll never forget when he proofread it, he said to me, geez, kid, if you say brokering's difficult once, you say it like 25 times. <laughs> and, and my favorite 
feedback from that first book is when I get someone emailing me saying, man, I was about to quit my job, jump into mortgage brokering, and someone handed me your book and I read it over the weekend or I read it on a flight because it, it tends to be like a very quick four and a half, five hour sit down, boom, they read yeah. the whole thing. And I realized, whoa, like mm-hmm. I'm not ready. Like there's a chapter in there, three things we wish we'd been told before we got in this business. And it's real live brokers who contributed. And yeah, the, the book scares a lot of people away. And that was before brokering was as scary as it is today, because that book was written in 2015. Uh, I've updated it once in 2018, but since then, I mean, it's it's a tough business. And I get insurance brokers and realtors that also read it, because yeah. uh, it, a lot of it applies. What What's the process of writing a book like that? Because you were, you were really busy, because like, most people that know you know that you were one of the busiest uh, mortgage brokers in lower mainland, probably in Canada, I think, probably at one time, right? Yeah, the the Canadian Mortgage Professional Magazine has a top 75 list. And the year I wrote the first book, I think I was number nine. And the year I wrote the second two uh, follow-up books, I wrote them back to back. I think I was number seven. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I was a, a, a little busy. And well, how many ends yet? are you doing a year when you're like, is that like 200 plus ends yeah. a year? Yep, two thirty nine was my peak, and uh, and you know definitely when the pandemic uh, did what it did to the real estate market, I I I for sure had moments where I was like, why am I not still brokering? Like, yeah, it was right. such craziness. It was just pandemonium. Wow. And so you're writing in the evenings. You're you're writing on the weekends. Weekends only. And uh, I I stopped tracking at five hundred hours. I counted the first five hundred hours. I'd say the first book was about six hundred hours. And, and the subsequent ones were probably five to 600 each. And it was basically 12 hours plus on a Saturday, 12 hours plus on a Sunday. No, I can't go out for dinner. No, I can't go to the game. No, I'm not going to be at that family dinner. Like I just sequestered myself in a home office without a computer plugged into the internet and wrote. So there was no email, no texting, nothing was popping in. I left the phone outside the space and it really was like 10, 12 very focused hours, just getting into that headspace of, okay, what is this chapter about? What am I trying to say? And just wordsmithing it. And uh, as I say, it it wasn't a business card book. It was, yeah. it was a genuine labor of love. It, it came out of being asked multiple times, hey man, have you got a few minutes to grab a coffee? Like, how, how have you found the success you've found? And I would say yes all the time. And then I realized like, I'm spending three, four, five hours a week <laughs> talking about brokering. Yeah. I should just write all this down in a book. And I can just hand it to people and give it away and keep my life simple. And uh, it's not exactly how it played out. But, you know, <laughs> most people don't write a book when they want to simplify life, I guess. But, but I, that I, makes I thought makes the book sense. would say it all and everyone would leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm getting phone calls from halfway across the country, all the way across the country saying, hey, we read your book. We love it. Would you come speak to our office? We'll fly you out. We'll pay you some money. And I was like, wait, what? And yeah. of course, everyone else in the world seems to know that if you want to get a speaking thing going, you write a book. I had no clue that's what that yeah. was going to lead to. And So the motivation, it sounds like, was that you were getting, a lot of people were trying to figure out what you were doing. But like the discipline of doing that and the organization, like what was the, was was that truly the the, the why of writing that book? Was like, I, I got to share the the tricks and tips I've developed over the years? Because that's like a, 12 hours in a room by yourself is asking a lot of a guy doing over 200 ends a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weekend after weekend after weekend. Yeah. It was, you know, like eight months uh, plus of weekends. It, it, it was a lot. 
Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I genuinely always wanted to write a book. And in my mind, I thought I might write something like Stephen King would write like that or a Robert Ludlum book or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I realized, huh, I've actually got some unique knowledge and I'm having a lot of very interesting experiences. Like I changed all the names, of course, and I changed a lot of details in different stories. And despite making all those changes, I actually got approval from my clients who the story was somewhat based on like, hey, I don't think anyone's going to figure out this was you. Yeah. But here's the story I want to tell. And uh, one of them, it, there was very, a very key detail that for sure people would know that uh, who I'd written about. And uh, they were totally fine with it. So they let me roll with it. Um, but yeah, you know, you got that collection of stories and you kind of, I, I kind of had that desire to write a book. And I thought, hmm, this fits. And there was no other book at that time that spoke to the secret society that is mortgage <laughs> brokers in Canada. Like, I mean, it's not taught in college or university. Uh, the course varies in length from one province to another, as little as one week and 400 bucks in Ontario to thousands of dollars and six months plus in Quebec or Alberta. Uh, BC is typically 20 correspondence courses or segments, I should say. So it's about a six month process overall, start to finish and about a thousand bucks. Like it's a very low barrier to entry to get in. You don't have to have a degree of any kind, but it's not talked about anywhere. And it's a pretty amazing profession, but it is a technical sales role. You're not selling anything. We get people all the time. They come in and they go, oh, I was a number one salesman here, there, or wherever. I'm going to crush it at selling yeah. mortgages. Nobody, nobody's selling mortgages. None of us are selling a mortgage. You're not buying a mortgage. You bought a house. You need a mortgage. And what you're really looking for is advice. And so, yeah, you can make the argument that we're selling ourselves, I suppose, but, but nobody's selling a mortgage. It's not a unit that you put through. It's very relationship-based, big time. But it is, it's like this, as I say, secret society. People just don't know the profession even exists. Yeah, And uh, it's, it's a tough profession to succeed in. But if you can, if you have that sort of left brain, right brain combo where you, you like a good spreadsheet, you like details and nuance, you like reading policy guidelines, and you don't mind having conversations with people, you'll do well. Yeah. You know, but uh, it, it's also very much a nine to five, Monday to Friday type role if you want it to be. You don't have to work evenings. You don't have to work weekends. You don't have to go out in the world. You can arguably build your entire business from home mm -hmm. from mom's basement you know i'm just thinking because you've seen the market you've been kind of hyper local in the lower mainland and now you're in this this kind of national role across the country and you're watching like maybe broad strokes like what's what's your take on on the market right now well i mean the the old adage is that uh much like the weather there's no national forecast right, right. I don't know that it's ever been as sort of fractured as it is. Like Alberta is strong. Like house prices are strong. The market is strong. Our brokers year over year business is strong. Alberta is like its own little private economy rocking along. Uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, not really doing too badly, not suffering massively either overall numbers wise. Quebec has really slowed down, but it was slow to slow down. 
But now it seems like it's absolutely the realities of the market are catching up there. But I was just in Quebec recently and I, I, I joked, I said, not only am I here from Vancouver, I'm here from the future. And you guys are one of the last groups of brokers that are going to continue to enjoy working with a single income household. And you may actually put them in a detached house or in a townhouse. But a generation from now, and by generation, I mean even 15, 20 years from now, that's just not going to be the case. And that's where we're at in Toronto and Vancouver. And the market in Toronto, uh, very slow the last few months, hopefully, today being the Bank of Canada announcement where they stayed flat, recording on October 25th. Right. Hopefully, you know, that will bring a sense of stability back. And I did see somebody screenshot a tweet and sent it to me, and it was, Wahoo, Bank of Canada holds steady, time to go by. And I think there is a lot of pent-up demand, not so much waiting for rates to come down as just waiting for stability. Like, just tell me they're not going to go up another notch. Tell me this is where we're at. Is that what we saw earlier this year is the feeling that we had kind of hit stability like prematurely? And is that why we saw the first half of the year kind of auto right out of the gates? Is that your sense? 100% what happened. Yeah, broker after broker would say to me, like, oh, my clients feel like the, the wave is crested. Things are going to you know, be flat and they're going to come down and we're going to be good. And away we go. And, and everybody started coming off the sidelines and getting back in the game. And then we got whacked with that sort of surprise. I'll put air quotes around it. Uh, surprise hike, which wasn't really that big of a surprise, but, but it was to economists, which was interesting. That really threw everybody off. I mean, I was at a presentation the day before, I think it was the July announcement. It was June, the day before the announcement. And the, one of the a very intelligent, well-spoken, articulate, well-researched individuals talking about how the Bank of Canada is going to hold tomorrow. And it was just like a, an offhand, aside, kind of throwaway comment. Like, we all know nothing's going to happen tomorrow. And that's when my radar really went up. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know how that plays out. <laughs> and that just, that put the market into a, you know, into a, put put market back to sleep. Yeah. It really did put the market back. So, you know, it, it sounds like the, the, you know, how's the weather nationally doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm kind of curious to hear about the lending environment right now. And I'm thinking just generally about, yeah liquidity and 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 how you're finding it out there and then you know also i'm curious to hear how the stress test is you know spell it out and how that's impacting things right now well there's a few things uh you know my opening tagline was going to be uh <laughs> the variable rate mortgage is back and so am i yeah. <laughs> uh, after after going into you know witness protection program yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the last 18 months that, that that is a thing that's happening in the market Right. Because fixed rates have all hit 6% plus. Yeah. Discounts have come back with certain lenders. Uh, you know, certain lenders are as deep as prime minus 0.9. So prime being 7.2, you can get a 6.3 variable right now. That's a little bit under, uh, say a five year fixed. And the sentiment is we're done hiking. And even if it goes up a quarter. Well, then you're only sort of brushing that five-year rate. And do you really think the Bank of Canada is not going to lower rates over the next five years? Mm-hmm. Hey, I mean, as we now know, anything could happen. But most people do believe we will see the recession that we're starting to see take effect. And then very quickly, I joke kind of like a two-year-old with a stereo dial, 
you know, the Bank of Canada has, has gone whack and cranked it up full blast. And they're probably going to go zap and turn it down very quickly by a point or two points. So suddenly, even though many brokers have PTSD uh, over variable rate mortgages, because most brokers themselves, myself included, we are in variable rate mm-hmm. mortgages ourselves. So it's been a brutal run for the last 18 months. But that's a hot topic again. It is a conversation. But to your comment about sort of the mix in the lending landscape, it's a conversation with the clients who can actually meet an 8.3% stress test, which is very high, especially if they've brought a car payment or anything else into their life, not realizing that, you know, a $600 a month car payment cancels out $100,000 worth of mortgage money. And there's a lot of people with $1,200, $1,500 vehicle payments, not realizing that's $200,000, $250,000 of mortgage money right. eliminated from what they qualified for. And uh, one of the other big challenges has been portability. So here's a really interesting one. This is very valuable for anybody listening who's thinking about making a move and is in a 2.39 five-year fixed with another three years to run and they're feeling like, you know, they just hit a home run. And you know what? Let's make a move because everything is actually good in our lives and we've got this great rate. Let's move. Uh, okay, we'll phone the bank up real quick and uh, whoever will phone our phone or lender and we'll say, hey, is uh, our mortgage portable? Yes, it is. Click goodbye. And then they go and they sell the place and buy a new one. That was a, not a period at the end of yes, it is. That was a comma. Yes, your mortgage is portable, but you have to requalify for it all over again. And, and here's the real caveat. And if your original qualification included a number of exceptions, you may not be granted those same exceptions in today's lending market. And you almost certainly will not be granted those same exceptions against policy, little overrides here and there, or a port. Because what the public doesn't really understand and doesn't need to understand and frankly doesn't care about is the reality that if I'm a lender, it doesn't need to be a big bank, credit union, anybody. I'm, I'm a lender and I lend you a million dollars at two and a half percent. And you come back today and you want to port that mortgage. What happens in the background is I actually have to pay a penalty to the person that securitized that mortgage. If it's in the Canadian mortgage bond or an investment pool, I have to buy that mortgage out as the, the lender. You don't care about this and you don't pay any penalties. You're going to port your mortgage. Everything's wonderful. But I'm paying that penalty. And then on top of that, I now have this orphaned mortgage. It's no longer something I can securitize, package up into a bond or a bundle and, and, and offload. I have to carry it on my balance sheet for the next two and a half years. And that might mean I'm carrying it on my line of credit, which is currently sitting at, say, prime even, which is yeah. 6%. And, or pardon me, 7.2. Pardon me. So 7.2. So suddenly we're looking at a 3.7% difference on a million dollar mortgage. That is $37,000 a year in the red for me. Yeah. So I'm probably motivated to make it very difficult for you to port the mortgage you have with me. I would sooner see you break that mortgage, pay a penalty to get out of it, rock bottom as those penalties are on those low rate mortgages, and you go get a new mortgage somewhere else or or from us. And this is a little bit of a web that clients never expect to get caught up in. And so the question isn't, 
is your mortgage portable? The question is, can you qualify to port this specific mortgage at this time? And the property itself can sometimes be an issue. Just as a quick aside, as a uh, a lender, you could you could be trying to port a mortgage from a detached house or a townhouse or condo. That's fine. Over to a new strata, and that new strata is maybe a six-unit townhouse. Well, there's a lot of lenders that have thresholds, and they will not provide financing for small strata developments. Mm-hmm. They won't do it. They have a minimum number of units they want to have. So there's all these nuances that can really blow up the porting of a mortgage. And again, that kind of thing, it, it's, I think, gone a long ways to keeping people on the sidelines or not it's interesting. the same way. Yeah. We, I literally had someone say to me the other day, they said, I just have to, qual- I, they wanted to move from, we'll use round numbers, a million dollar mortgage to a two million. They wanted to add a million dollars, port their existing mortgage and add a million bucks. I was like, it's, you're going to have to qualify for the two million. I mean, you need to talk to a broker, but you're not qualifying for an extra million bucks. No, you're requalifying. You're, you're requalifying for a two million dollar mortgage. mortgage. Yeah, and it's. It, I don't. I think a lot of people don't really understand how porting works. So that's a. That's a, we haven't talked about it on the show. No, we haven't, and we've also. But we have talked a lot, or at least a few times about in the states with the thirty year, mm-hmm. like the thirty year uh, term. Term is is a huge reason why the inventory is so low and nobody's moving. But here it's like, okay, well, you got to blend and extend and requalify, and there's a lot of challenges, but. One thing we've never talked about is actually, is it even portable? Because everybody assumes their, their mortgage is portable. Oh, it's yeah. portable, but that takes, if you think it's, it's like right now, it, w- it would not be easy. If you qualified at, you know, 1.69, it would be hard to qualify today. Yeah. But, and also if there, if there's 30 different roadblocks they're trying to put in front of you to not make it portable, right? Like if there's. Totally. Like yeah. the stress test was, the floor on the stress test was five and a quarter. But today you're looking at a stress test of say eight and a half. Yeah. And maybe there's a blended rate. You're blending your one six nine with a, you know, six point five. So you're maybe you're winding up with a five percent rate. So your stress test is now seven. So actually if you stay with the same lender and you do a blended rate, you might be able to make it through you might thread the needle. Whereas paying out that lender and going to a new lender altogether and that little bit higher stress test, like there's so many nuances to it. Are you seeing lenders offer really competitive rates in that scenario? Like if I come with a million dollar mortgage that I want to port, but I want to add a certain amount of money to it, like just to get that initial mortgage off the books, the portable one, do you see them negotiating on a larger number? No. 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 I mean, it's it's messy no matter what. Well, even if you're blending and extending and whatnot, it's, it's, still, it's still a messy transaction. And it's, it's not, you know, the, the other thing I should, I should highlight too, when I talk about ports, I'm going to choose my words carefully. It's not that the individual at a, a branch is not trying to do their best, but an individual at a branch level is tasked with multiple different things. Open a credit card, open a TFSA, set up an RRSP, open a checking account. Like they have so many different hats they wear. And increasingly, the banks are moving away from having mortgages originated in branches at all. They're moving towards a dedicated specialist for mortgage transactions, which is a great thing. Because that earlier comment I made about ring, ring, hey, is my mortgage portable? Yeah, it sure is. Click. Often, the root of that call is a branch representative who's processed 
one mortgage a month, maybe, maybe one mortgage every two months. Whereas a dedicated solid broker is processing anywhere from five to 10 to 15 to 20 transactions a month. You know, they're doing a year's worth of branch representatives business in one month. So by the end of the year, they have 12 years experience compared to the branch representative. And so the branch rep, as they say, they just don't know. Uh, well, yeah, the mortgage is portable. Sure. But they're not adding on, assuming you qualify it today's stress test, assuming nothing else has changed in your financial picture, assuming that the subject property you're going to look at is one that we like. There's all those nuances. So that's a great conversation to have on this show because we do get a lot of questions right now about porting mortgages, obviously. Yeah. It's important as a a part of a listing presentation, right? For a realtor to sit down and and you want to have that question on your listing presentation, you know, do you currently have a mortgage? Who's that mortgage held with? Can you confirm whether or not it's portable? Or you can go through a lot of steps before you figure out (laughs) it's not what you think it is. But if you're able to port and you're able to qualify, I mean, it's, it's, Maybe not, especially if you're going from a lower price property to a higher price property. Like that's maybe the opportunity in this market. It, it if is. If you can figure it out, right? Yeah. Well, and another opportunity on the listing agent side is, uh, so what are you doing? Oh, well, we're selling our home. Okay. We're going to sell around 3 million. What are you looking to buy? We're going to buy a condo downtown for 1.5. Oh, but you have a million five mortgage outstanding. Yeah. We're going to be mortgage free. Okay. But you took a five year fix at 1.69 back in 2021, you know. We actually should double check if this mortgage is assumable because that's a significant amount of savings. If somebody else happens to be looking for a similar size mortgage, that's always the caveat. But if someone else is looking for a similar size mortgage, most, most mortgages are technically assumable. Most are. They are. Not all, but most. And again, it goes down to finding that person at the branch that's going to be able to process that transaction because mortgage assumptions are something that's outside of the broker channel, you know, it's again, just as part of a good sort of due diligence piece on the listing side, these days it's, it's worth a conversation. This is the first time, well, I mean, this is first time from recent memory where I've seen people offering assumable mortgages in the realtor remarks on, on MLS. And I've seen, I've seen that actually a lot in the last three to six months. Well, we were in a decreasing rate environment from 2005 pretty well on. So right. who wanted your mortgage? I don't, I don't need your 4.19. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. getting a 369, a 299. It just kept going and going and going, right? right? Down, down, down. Dustin, I don't know if this is, you know, this is literally came out of a conversation I had yesterday with, with an agent who said, oh, did you hear about Ausfi's thinking about changing the stress test in December? And I said, no, I haven't heard that. And he said, that's a, something you should talk about on your podcast. Uh, is that actually, I, I literally have, I didn't consult the internet. Uh, I literally am putting this to you now. Is that in any way, shape or form accurate? Well, l- luckily, I'm on, I'm on my toes here <laughs> and I'm ready for that one. Um, yeah, the, the OSFI consultation wrapped up and they put out their, their final opinion on it midweek last week. And long story short, there's no changes happening. No. There, there's no appetite. I've long said since 2008, when the very first big steps were taken, they took away zero down purchases. They took away the 40-year amortization and reduced it to a maximum of 35. When they made those changes, I started saying something that I've been saying for 15 years. I wonder if anybody in the government has their finger over the undo button. 
and they went from 40 to 35 to 30 to 25, right? And they, they have made, at one point, there was an individual I met, they suggested there was 168 changes to qualifying a mortgage that, that had taken place over about a 12-year period. And I can tell you that the appetite to undo any of that is non-existent because loosening credit is very dicey. If things get away and inflation becomes a factor, uh, longer amortizations are looked at as being an inflationary thing, which is very unfortunate because they don't have to be inflationary. A longer amortization could be available to you after you qualify at a shorter amortization. So therefore, it's not allowing you to qualify for more mortgage money. It's just making the management of the debt easier. And there there are some people lobbying for changes. I mean, our Mortgage Professionals Canada, Mortgage Brokers Association, of course, being one key body. Uh, But even someone as prominent as the Bank of Canada, former former, uh, Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Polos, uh, he's written a wonderful book, The Age of Uncertainty. And in there, he has a chapter dedicated to the 50-year amortization. And he makes very valid arguments for having a 50-year amortization. But the appetite at OSFI to tweak the stress test by a quarter point isn't there. The appetite for a 50-year amortization is non-existent. It's just not on anyone's radar. And it's really unfortunate because we are now in a position where, I, I forget the exact percentage, but it was unbelievable it was you know whereas one third of gen x maybe thought they weren't going to own a home in their 20s two-thirds of gen z believe they will never own a home at this point Mm -hmm. and no doubt i mean you don't have to go too far to look down the street and go okay yeah like but what is affordable here Mm -hmm. and we're only building market rental (laughs) Uh, which which (laughs) we just had we came out of a conversation just about that but the uh, the other thing, like we we've been thinking and talking a lot about people being so squeezed that there is the potential of foreclosures, and and you know we're we're thinking, you know, the flip side of that argument is that you know there's a the culture in Canada where people will you know they won't eat for months just to make their mortgage payments. So, what what's your take on that? Do you think we're going to see uh, see a lot of distressed sales? Well, some listeners' heads are going to explode when they hear this next. Stat, <laughs> but, uh, we happen to live in a city where last year the average, the average gifted down payment amount was $300,000. Not, not the high, not the low, like the average gifted yeah. down payment amount was $300,000. So when you think about the sheer volume of gifted down payments that are flowing down from one generation to the other, and I think, by the way, this is where Gen X is really going to take it on the chin. It's like our, our, our parents... Uh, the boomers and the silent generation, they're going to wind up helping my kids. My parents are going to help my kids. I mean, hey, my parents helped me a little bit here and there for sure. But ultimately, inheritances, I feel like they're just going to skip a whole generation, right? It's going to, it's going to flow to the, to the Gen Z, uh, you know, to the, the next generation after that to help them get into the game. And, uh, yeah, when you when you think about that though, that gifted down payment on average of three hundred thousand dollars, it begs the question: Okay, so now you know the kids are having trouble making that mortgage payment because they went with an adjustable rate mortgage. The payment's gone up a thousand or two thousand a month. They're having trouble. 
okay, but if the median gift was $300,000, there's probably another 10, 20 grand behind that to help make the payment gap for a year or two. So I think that there's always been this sort of underestimation of the amount of wealth that surrounds the majority of homeowners, either through family connection, intergenerational connection. Uh, the fact that owning a home does promote a lot of stability in your life. And you're more likely to have a job for a longer period of time when you buy a home. And then after you buy the home, you're probably more likely to hang on to that job because you're going to be a lot less casual about quitting a job. Mm -hmm. I, I had a bad day at work. I quit. That's not a thing you do when you got a mortgage payment. Weirdly, you might do it when you have rent, you know, but a mortgage just feels much different than rent. It feels like a much longer term commitment. You know, it's, it's, it feels yeah. like marriage. Yeah, I was going to say dating versus marriage. That's 100%. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to tell exactly what the difference is, but it's definitely there mentally. Yeah. And, and to be totally respectful, of course, there are 4 million Canadians who live alone. There are 4 million single person households. There's a lot of people that do not have any generational wealth to count on. We are, we are a, a nation of, of immigrants, which is wonderful. And there are a lot of people who came here with 10 bucks in their back pocket and they don't have safety nets to fall back on. But again, I think to underestimate the work ethic, the savings ethic, the budgeting ethic of these people is, is, is crazy. We aren't a nation with Hummers and boats and RVs and snowmobiles and jet skis in every single driveway. That's just not who we are. You know, we, we haven't gone out and financed $150,000, $200,000 worth of toys. Mm -hmm. That's that's not who we are, much to the chagrin of the RV sales companies. <laughs> you know, I'm sure when the Canadian RV sales guys get together with the American RV sales guys, <laughs> they're just like, what are we doing in Canada? Man? Everyone's so damn conservative. They won't, like, they won't finance these coach, you know, 40-foot coaches. But in the U.S., it's it's no big deal. Yeah. You know, I was in Palm uh, Desert for a, a management meeting and I went for a little drive down to uh, the Salton Sea and about 30 miles or so of highway. And the entire 30 mile drive, the oncoming traffic was, it was a Friday and it was nonstop, gigantic diesel, like $120,000 pickup trucks with these huge fifth wheel trailers behind them that were like 35 feet long. And then maybe a little trailer with a dune buggy behind that or the dirt bikes or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it was just quarter million, quarter million, quarter million, quarter million of consumer financed type stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I drive up into the interior of BC pretty regularly and you see some nice rigs, but when you do, you're kind of like, whoa, look at that. Yeah. You're not, and that, and that, and that, and that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It's like every hundredth or 200th vehicle might be one of these big toy hauler setups or every 500. But I tell you, man, you get on some of those stretches of a uh, highway in the U.S. and it's just a steady parade. Yeah. So, so, so you're, you're thinking this is uh it's a challenging environment, but for the most part, people are gonna, are gonna buy hook or crook or contacting mom and dad or whatever they got to do. Uh, they're going to get through the next year. It's not, not going to be, there's not going to be too much distress in the market. There's distress. Again, I don't want to undersell that. Like there is distress. Uh, like absolutely people are stressed. Hey, you're talking to somebody who just got a call on the, from the bank for trigger rate number two. 
So I have an investment property. I was $1,000 a month in the black on 14 months ago. Uh, fast forward about eight months from there, I got a call. You've hit a trigger rate. Your payment's going up 2000 bucks. So now I went from 1000 in the black to 1000 in the red. Now, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I'm in a position where I can live with that. That's fine. And then I got a text message from my tenants asking about uh, when when exactly would we have to give notice? What time of the month? And I'm like, oh, geez, that's, you know, no landlord likes seeing that. Yeah. Uh, even though rents have gone up notably, so it's not necessarily the worst thing if if they were to make a move. But I got that text message about an hour later, about so about an hour before the phone rings and it's my banker calling me saying, hey, just a heads up, your mortgage payment is going up $2,200. And I said, oh, when's the next payment coming out? He said, in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm now upside down $3,250 a month on this property. That's not nothing. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough again that I bought in the spring of 2021, not the spring of 2022. So I'm still well in the black on valuations, even with where the market has gone. And there's recent sales that allow me to sleep at night. But like many, many investors, I am absolutely constantly flipping napkins over and on the back of the napkin doing the math. Like if I subsidize this for three years and that's $100,000 I put into that three years from now, will this property have gone up 100000 Will I be at even money? I think so. Will it have gone up 200000 Well, like this, is this a good investment of thirty two fifty a month? Probably, probably, yeah, maybe, yeah, but not hell, yeah. So you know, I'm I'm kind of tepid on the whole situation right now. And if my tenants were to give me notice, I don't want to upset their life. But if they were to give me notice, would I put a for sale sign out front? I think that I am, I am representative of thousands of investors who are experiencing this exact scenario to different dollar amounts. And the answer is yes. If my tenants give me notice, I may decide, you know what? I'm in the black. I'm up on this property overall. I'm not going to keep feeding it for the next few years. And who knows what's going to happen over mm -hmm. the next few years. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, 
the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. And if we're higher for longer in terms of the interest rate, we actually had this question coming later on in the conversation, but I think you kind of segued in it. Does real estate in the lower mainland or in BC still make sense, like from an investment perspective? Or, or in Canada. Right. I guess certain areas, yeah, I mean, they, you know, up north, there's good cash flow, Alberta. Because we created a whole podcast around it. So we really want to know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> Vancouver real estate. <laughs> yeah, Vancouver real estate. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> this is our last episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. I mean, as I say, I think that that owning your own home is, is a, a way of casting a vote, right? You're casting a vote in favor of Canada. You're saying, I want to own a home in Canada because I believe there is stability of government. There's stability of the rule of law. I have stability in property rights. This is a safe place for me to invest. Stepping outside of Canada, I'm personally less comfortable. And depending on which country you want to talk about, I'm less and less and less comfortable parking my money in, in these different countries because anything can happen. And we are going into an era of, arguably, we're going into an era of deglobalization, right? People are putting the walls up. They're reducing trade with other countries. We have a ban on foreign buyers. Mm -hmm. So what's to stop other countries from not only banning foreign buyers, but going a step further and saying, as a foreign owner, you must sell. Mm -hmm. You have 60 days. You have 180 days to sell. Or even worse, uh, oh, you're it's a foreign appropriating. owner. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we're taking it away from yeah. you. You know, th thanks very much, but we're, we're, we're canceling your ownership. How are you going to fight that? Yeah. So, you know, again, depending on the nature of the country and your own financial position and, you know, your understandings of international law. I mean, I know enough about law to know it's really expensive <laughs> to try and argue a point of law. So I'd be a little apprehensive about investing outside of Canada. I think there are still cash flowing areas inside of Canada. I think the multifamily space is fascinating. If you are a little more, you know, well-versed and well-heeled in, in real estate investment, uh, then you're, you're familiar with some of the new programs that have come out and, and you're looking at multifamily because there are absolutely some opportunities there. That is where the 50 year amortization exists. I mean, how crazy is that? Like, mm. no, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, you can't have a 50-year amortization to own your own property. But guess what? We'll give your landlord a 50-year amortization to own the whole building. And, you know, even as I say it, it kind of sounds like a setup, doesn't it? Like, so wait, like Joe and Mary Sixpack, they got to come up with 10% down at a million, uh, pardon me, as a scale, right? You're 5% to 500,000. Then scaling from five to ten percent down at nine ninety nine, and then a million dollars and up, you have to have twenty percent down. That's Joe and Mary six pack, Joe Public. But if you're a multifamily investor and you want to buy a twenty million dollar building, you can put five percent down on that, and we'll give you a fifty year amortization, even though the other chumps are only getting twenty five years. So we'll give you twice as long to pay it off. We'll let you put way less money down. Like, how does that make any sense? I mean, that, that, that yeah. is challenging, right? Yeah. We won't go down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> it does make you think, like, why are they so hard on the Canadian public? Yeah. But, you know, I, again, I, I'm trying to, trying to answer your question, and my, my, my answer is really this. Owning a home 
is still something that I think is ingrained in a lot of us. It's been ingrained in us by our parents, by our grandparents. And we're going to, you know, to use your earlier term, uh, Adam, by hook or crook, we're going to find a way to own a home. It's going to happen. And for a lot of people, Gen Z in particular, who think right now there's no way I'm ever going to own a home, don't think like that. Find a way. Find a way. And I know that sounds maybe a little out of touch to some extent, but if you set a goal for yourself, you set a target, you start figuring out different ways that you might get closer and closer to making it happen. And uh, as far as investment real estate, that is a different topic. And at today's rates and today's shorter amortizations, it's very difficult to find a property that cash flows. And it's difficult to find, I think, the appreciation that we used to find in many areas. It's, a, it's fascinating looking at condos in downtown Vancouver, uh, as I have been over the past few months. I see things where it shows that previous sale price history that are selling today for 5 or 10%, but they're listed. They're not even selling. They're listed for 5 or 10% below the 2017 purchase price. Mm-hmm. Like these people have sat on this million to million five beautiful apartment for six years. Yeah. And they're going to take a loss on it. So, and and that was during a period where interest rates were really low for the most part. Well, yeah, and I, I think about some of these pre-sales that have sold for, you know, blended 2700 a foot or so that are going to be now completing and coming to market and one, one sticks out. But it's people are going to take a hit. Yeah, there's going to be people that won't be able to close. There'll be units that are financed by lenders that when you're going into a pre-sale, you often have the opportunity to talk to the lender on site who has a special deal and they will actually underwrite that mortgage right then and there. And they guarantee it for as far as six years out. They don't pull another credit check. They don't ask you for an updated pay stub. They don't do another appraisal. They actually fund that mortgage at 80% of the original agreed upon purchase price. No questions asked. Perfect. And I tell every one of my clients, I I would always tell them when they were buying a pre-sale, go get the financing from the on-site individuals. Mm -hmm. And they'd always be like, oh, that's kind of weird that you're sending me there. I'm like, yeah, but in broker world, I can only hold a rate for 120 days. I can only hold an approval for a maximum of six months with the majority of lenders, especially in BC, with with any lender in BC in the broker channel. So the on-site lender, go get an approval with them. Now, when we get four months out from the actual completion date, two, three, four years from now, let's talk. I'll diarize it, you diarize it, let's talk, because maybe I can do something more competitive than what they've locked in. Of course, anybody who did this two or three years ago and has a pre-sale coming up now, I mean, they are laughing, right? To have a 2.49 approval from three years ago with no requalification required right right now, that is a thing of beauty. Except I have had a couple of clients where the building was supposed to be completed in the spring and it's still not completed and that runs out the rate hold that was to a certain point. Just brutal scenarios. That's, that's where, true too. Yeah. But but I just wanted to kind of think a little bit more about betting on appreciation because that's been the, the play since the 2008. Since time began. Really. Yeah, really. Yeah, okay. So, so yeah, definitely for the last decade or more, in Vancouver, you might feed it a bit, you might be close to breaking even if you're lucky, but there was always this idea that 
you know, it's going to be worth a lot more money. Doubles every 10 years. Yeah. And what you were talking about with your investment property that you're thinking you might sell is like, okay, it's probably going to be a good investment, but it's not a slam dunk. And if we're higher for longer, it it seems almost impossible to think that we're going to see the types of demand shocks uh, where prices just go through the roof, at least in the short term, in this near term. So, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to think through, that's sort of a, the logic that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Like, you know, then you're not buying pre-sales because pre-sales are all about appreciation, but then pre-sales aren't getting built and demand is still there, but supplies done. Like, it's a very complicated thing to kind of work through. I'm just wondering if you have any more thoughts on that idea of appreciation in the short term, okay. short to medium term. Come on, Matt, it's me. I mean, even if I don't have a thought. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll give you 20 minutes. <laughs> I'll, I'll have some words, even if I don't have a thought. Um, you know, on the appreciation front, I, I remember writing uh, blog posts about how the market could double easily. I wrote those posts in 2010, 2012, 2014, and I would say, yeah, the, the, the price of a home today could double. No problem. I don't know that I would be able to write those posts as easily as I did then. And, and I say easily because 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016, those were all years that were pre-stress test. Lending restrictions weren't quite as tight. Technically, most people qualified for somewhere between 50% and 100% more mortgage money than they do today. Like double, double the amount of mortgage money you qualified for. Now, very few people were borrowing that much. But the point I always made was, you know, you take, I used to really love delivering this in a, in a crowded room. I'd say, you know who's driving prices up in the lower mainland? I mean, you, you know who I'm talking about. And you see some heads start nodding. I'm like, yeah, we know who this group of people are. <laughs> and like you, you, you right. And you're, you're sort of, and some people are almost getting uncomfortable because yeah. they think like, oh my gosh, where's yeah. this guy going? And I'm like, that's right. It's the firefighters, the nurses, the teachers and the cops. You know why? Because they all make a hundred grand a year with overtime or a master's. Not, not all of them, but they are capable of hitting a hundred grand a year quite easily with enough overtime and uh, they marry one another. So there's all these $200,000 households in a 25% tax bracket because it's income split, of course. And that means they basically have 12 five a month after tax in their hands. And I'm talking to them about a $750,000 house with a basement suite in Coquitlam. The basement suite rents for $1,500. they are going to put, you know, even if they only put 5% down, their mortgage payment at that time was $2,500. Their payment was 1000 bucks a month net of the basement suite. And my gosh, I mean, they're only going to have 11.5 left over every month. How will they eat? Yeah. Right. And people, they'd, they'd be like, is that, and I, I'm like that math, did everyone keep up? And they'd all be kind of like, no. And I'm like, listen to that again. Right. Like multiple, multiple $200,000 a year households. And I've had brokers come from Ontario to BC because, well, why wouldn't you? And, uh, and they start building a book of business in BC and they're like, oh my gosh, does everyone here make $100,000 a year? And I'm like, well, no, not exactly. But, but, but then again, yes, like there, there's a lot of different roles in the lower mainland that you can, you know, exceed $100,000 with and a lot of dual income, a lot of dual income households. So when those houses in the Westwood Plateau were 750, to me, it was laughable. 
Mm-hmm. Like, can you pay? Can you afford to pay eight fifty? <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, right? These these folks had thousands of dollars left over every month, so it really wasn't that dramatic of a an, a concept that a house would cost a million dollars or a million two or a million four. It it just wasn't that dramatic of an idea. Mm-hmm. And so I would make the argument like, yeah, th- th- this house you're buying for seven fifty, it will double in value, probably inside 10 years. And people, you know, they said, you're crazy. And of course, I did have a few clients that bought two, three, four, five. One individual bought six houses and still has them. And that is one happy, happy <laughs> individual. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and again, he did that on a $110,000 a year salary. Because of rental offsets and just the way the lending guidelines were, he was able to build out that portfolio mm-hmm. and, uh, and the way he went. So there was a time where it seemed crystal clear that home prices could go up 20% a year for 10 years running. And it just like there's nothing was going to rein that in. And when, you know, the, the foreign buyer tax came out and all this, all these different things that people were rallying, oh, the boogeyman is this, the boogeyman is that. I just kept citing the same group, right? Like, no, the, 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 the challenge is actually the firefighter and the nurse that live down the road. They're your problem. Yeah. Because they're tired of looking at 32 different houses. And you know what? This one's 750. Let, let's just offer them 770. Get it over with. Let's just go above ask. And, and so that's what you had. But today, I find myself asking myself this question regularly. Self? Self? How? Can my house double in price in the next 10 years? I mean, am I now just in that group of people that couldn't conceive of a 750 <laughs> house? Yeah, yeah. Like when the first house in East Van hit a million, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially if you, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. So, and now they're 2 million. And now they're, yeah, exactly. But I, and I, I wonder about that because I mean, we talk mostly from the perspective of supply and demand, but it, you're putting an interesting spin on just the fact that. Who's going to buy them? Who can afford them? Well, here's well, who, who's going to finance them? Who's going to finance them? But, <laughs> sure. But here's an interesting thing. There's talk of provincial sweeping legislation that all single family home lots will be zoned for fourplex period, the mm-hmm. end, whether the municipality likes it or not. Now, something like that changes the game. Right. Puts in a floor essentially on the on the single family prices. Yeah. I mean, how, how is every single single family home lot not now worth two million? Like yeah. it's worth two million without a house even on it. Yeah. And so suddenly that type of thing. So I think you always have to be worried about the the best intentions, <laughs> yeah. the unintended consequences. So on the one hand, you might want to get out of the real estate game because you feel like uh there might be some hardcore stop to immigration, some additional hardcore stops to groups buying property. And suddenly the the pool of buyers could shrink so radically so quickly that the market drops 30 or 40%. So there's that, that fear. But on the flip side, the government could also come out with some kind of policy like the one I just mentioned around zoning everything fourplex or fiveplex or mm-hmm. sixplex. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, boom. Everything now has a very solid floor under it, valuation-wise, and it's only going to go up from there. So it's anyone's guess as to which way it goes, but the, the answer I give to myself when I ask myself that question of, am I, am I out to lunch? Like, is, 
I mean, the, the party feels like it might be over. Mm-hmm. Like, there might be a little more room to run. Like maybe my house will go from 175 to 2 million, maybe over the next couple of years. Could it really go to three or three and a half? Like, is that even feasible? And, you know, I, I, as I say, I pause and I think, well, the person who's held real estate has never been wrong. The person who has sold real estate has always been wrong. Mm-hmm. And am I going to bet that for the first time in history, the trade <laughs> is going the other direction? I, I think that's a bit of a foolish bet. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm maybe not saying like, buy, 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 but I would definitely say hold as long mm-hmm. as you can hold. And even though it might hurt because of this negative cash flow situation and everything else, my gut says hold. Like don't don't jump out of just yet. We have a, a friend of the show who lives in Hong Kong who has been very very good at picking markets kind of globally and uh, in commercial and residential. And his his take has been very similar in the sense of his his feeling is like there's not going to be like the cap gain that we're used to like the next couple decades, like we've kind of, we've seen our big spike. Right. And so he's anticipating kind of modest growth, but I don't think he's betting on this market. So that's an interesting take. I know you're speaking of, I reached out to him after listening to him on the episode, (laughs) I pulled his name up, but I I reached out to him through LinkedIn and we had a good little banter and uh, I just wrote the word down zoning. Right. I mean, that's what I was alluding to earlier. Like, Zoning. So when you mentioned East Vancouver, East Vancouver could really just become an entire landscape of condos, townhouses, and high rises and the detached homes. You know, you could fast forward to a version of the future 25, 50, 75 years from now where you don't see a detached home within 40 minutes of downtown Vancouver, Mm. any direction where everything becomes multifamily. And, uh, that certainly seems real. And that obviously has a massive impact on valuations. And what was that half acre of land in that $38 million, that land right. assembly? Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. And, and that's the interesting thing, I think, right? Because, I mean, if you think about like huge frontage on the west side or something, if you can put eight units or, you know, it's just going to be interesting how they, because the other thing, is like the development cost or developer cost levies and, and everything, all the expenses of building and it's complicated, but I, I, yeah. So best use goes up. There's a, a real chance to see a significant swing. And car ownership will play an interesting role in this too, right? I mean, I, increasingly I talk with people who live in major urban centers and, and find them talking about pivoting mm-hmm. completely to Uber and not mm-hmm. even having a vehicle. Just an Evo, an Uber. I mean, the, the young, some of our youngest clients in our in our client base, most of them don't have cars, and most of them don't want to. Actually, car. and was it? I'm trying to think. Larry Beasley, who was on the show recently, who does a lot of traveling around the world, was after we hit stop on the record. He said something about you guys have to get on top of the share economy as a driving force. And I was like, noted. Uh, but I mean, I, the challenge is who do you talk to? I don't know. Who's that person? But I don't know. I mean, I know uh, uh, Turo just came to Vancouver, right? The car rental, yeah, right, car share right. type. It's like like an Airbnb for your vehicle. Right. Actually, we have a friend who's... Friend uh, who's actually apparently making pretty good money. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, my my The guy that drove me, my Uber driver in Palm, I mentioned I was in Palm, Palm Desert, Palm Springs, one of the two. 
I don't pay attention to where I go. I just get told, uh, you're on this flight at this time, go. Uh, half the time, I don't know where I am. Anyway, um, my Uber driver was telling me he had four, I think it was four or five Toyota Highlander hybrids all on Turo. And he was netting something like 600 US, 700 US, because I, I think it was around 1,000 Canadian. I was doing the math in my mind, per vehicle, per month. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right? Like, why don't I have five Toyota Highlander yeah. hybrids? And uh, that makes me Also, fun. he's uh, driving Uber. That also makes me think sometimes when I'm sitting around at home at night, like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> why are you not driving? Yeah, why am I not driving well, this Uber? This gentleman was 70 years old. Yeah. So he said, Just a hustler. he says, I'm supplementing my pension. And then I kind of got into this Turo thing because one of my one of my fares told me about it. And I downloaded the app and looked at it. And, and my neighbor had a Highlander he was selling. And it worked out so well, I just yeah. started buying Highlanders. Left and right. It's so great, though. There's always an opportunity if you're if you're watching. Hey, there is. I mean, you know, you go back to the early days of the pandemic. None of us want to go back to that. But I, I was living in downtown Vancouver at that time. And, you know, instantly there were all these hustlers out there with their pickup trucks loaded with two by fours and plywood building wooden storefronts across the glass storefronts on Robson Street, Alberni Street. Like they were getting paid. Yeah. They're out there swinging a hammer, making money. And, uh, and then of course, when things started to open up, I stopped and talked, chatted with a few of these guys. Cause I'm that guy I'm always interested in. <laughs> you know, so, Hey, I see that you got like a little bit of a side business going, or is this your main thing? And, uh, the guy was getting paid to take the materials down from in front of the high end, you know, purse store or whatever. He's now getting paid to take labor again, to take everything down. And he's getting paid the, to dispose, air quotes, of the yeah. materials, which he was actually then driving those materials over to Maine and building a cafe parking or a patio in the parking spaces. So the storefront, you know, security lumber suddenly became the cafe, like right. the little parking spot patio uh, lumber. So he's then reselling the lumber to that company and getting paid to put it back together in a different format. So it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. There's always going to be those people that are going to find a way. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the one guy said, he's like, oh yeah, this is a total side hustle. I got, I won't, I won't say what he was doing full time, but it was like a very good regular sounding job where most people would be like, doesn't he just go home and sit on the couch and yeah, watch yeah. Netflix? No, this guy was basically working a hundred hours a week. And why was he working all that side hustle to put cash together to buy a piece of real estate? Should have bought a Turo rental. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> maybe, maybe so, we all uh, should. Yeah. You know, I just had one more question because it's it's. I think there's a lot of people out there, and I feel like we've potentially talked to you, Dustin, about this before. But bonds and fixed rates and bond yields and kind of the the wild fluctuations that we've seen. You know, it's it's a lesser known talked about and it's and it's not understood by everybody how that impacts fixed rates and what's going on right now. I was just curious, can you unpack the difference between because, as you said, uh, the Bank of Canada held a rate today, which is good news, I think, for everybody. But those the the bond market is a wholly different beast and it impacts our markets, our, our market very, you know, it's it has a great impact on the market. So, yeah. And it's 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 been a very challenging uh, space. So historically, you know, the Bank of Canada will move prime around and that will impact your variable rate mortgage holders, obviously. And depending on where they're moving prime, that may in, uh, impact the discount 
being offered on the variable rate mortgage. So when there's increased volatility, the discounts go away. So you saw, you know, prime minus 1.2 during the pandemic when everything had just flatlined because there was no volatility. Bank of Canada wasn't moving anything anywhere. So the discounts got very deep on that. And then as soon as things started moving, we swung from prime minus 1.2 to prime. Prime plus 0.2, prime plus 0.4, prime minus 0.2. It moved around a little bit, Mm -hmm. but a good point of that discount just vanished overnight. And short-term fixed rates, say one-year, two-year, the three-year is almost one foot in each camp. The one-year, two-year fixed rates tend to be influenced by Bank of Canada movement. So again, historically, you had stable a stable stretch with prime, the one-year and two-year rates were rock bottom, very, very low. But as soon as the volatility kicked in, the one, two, three, four, five-year rates almost all looked like the same number. There was virtually no difference between them. And uh, and in some cases, the two-year rate was higher than the five-year. In many cases, for many months, the, the short-term rates actually went higher than the longer-term rates, which didn't seem to make sense. But again, that goes to the uncertainty and the volatility, which is exactly what the Bank of Canada wanted to create. They wanted us to be off filter a little bit. And um, the longer term rates, those are more dictated by the bond market. So you're three, three year and up, four year for sure and up. But the bond traders that make the bond market, they're always looking at sort of world events and what's happening and where, and they're, they're sort of making forward bets on where rates are going. And again, with that volatility and the expectation that the Bank of Canada was going to hike, going to hike, going to hike, that's where you saw the bonds just keep jacking up. And they've not come down as fast because they're also maintaining that, that price point saying, well, we could come down a little bit. And even when the bonds come down, the five-year fixed rate, for instance, doesn't always follow as quickly as it used to. So the spread can go from where it might normally have been two and a quarter to two and three quarters to three. And the people in the know in the business are looking at this going, man, these these lenders are cleaning up on five-year fix because the spread is way bigger than it's ever been before. Mm. Now, to be fair to lenders, during those rate hikes in early 2022, in particular, a lot of them had done pre-approvals at very low rates that they got completely turned upside down on. So they they took some very big hits in some cases. And then when the volatility happened, the the bond market would drop, the rates would drop. They'd put out pre-approvals at these lower rates, but then two weeks later, the bond market suddenly <laughs> spikes back caught. up yeah. and they haven't hedged enough. And suddenly they're caught basically funding mortgages at a loss. So... You've now basically entered this zone of we don't care how much the bond is fluctuating. We're kind of just going to hang a good 10 steps back. And when it goes down and stays down for a while, then maybe we'll join them. But we're really going to be apprehensive and slow moving. And what goes through the minds of the bond traders and everything else, I, I can only speculate, but I feel like a lot of them are very pessimistic. You know, they've, they've, they've had these very pessimistic views, hence the higher rates. Right. But we shall see where it lands. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. But uh, Dustin, we have this segment called the Five Wire, Five Lighthearted Questions that we end every show with. 
Can you stick around for that? Of course. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the Lower Mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Question number one is one book that you've read recently that you'd recommend for our listeners. Uh, I have an answer to this. Uh, Outlive by Dr. Peter Atiyah. Oh man! Oh man! You're you're into the yeah, choir, say, yeah. right? Big Peter Atia fans. What's the number show. one predictor of uh, your survival? Oh, the four horsemen of death, or, or what? What are muscle you talking? Muscle mass. Muscle yeah, mass, right? you know what? It's funny, but that's. Uh, yeah, I just I was just listening to him on a. You've on a, listened to him on every. So podcast what I do now? I'm such a Peter Atia <laughs> fan that I just search Peter Atia for him on on other oh, shows. Podcasts, yeah. But I I I listen to his show as well. But I just find his shows so technical. Sometimes it's like. Uh, sitting through like a, I don't know. It is. I'm in deep in the book. And I mean, as I say, the number one takeaway, look, I'm 52 years old. I've realized I'm not as motivated as I once was. So I've, I've, I've hired a, a trainer, uh, Danny Robson at Fall Line Fitness. I'll give her a shout out up in Squamish. She kicks my ass twice a week. Like I would never kick my own ass. Yeah. And, uh, and I think to myself when I'm pushing myself extra hard, yeah, well, Dr. Atia would say, like, this is what's going to keep my ass alive. So I got to try and put a little more muscle mass on. Yeah. That's what it's all about. But I'll give you one other book, The Expectation Effect. I can't remember the name of the author, but The Expectation Effect, in a nutshell, you get what you expect. You think life's going to be crap. You think you're going to suck at this. Yeah, yeah, it's a crappy life and you suck. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you think you can actually do this and life's pretty good. Uh, you might actually do it and life. Well, it'll be better. It may yeah. not be perfect, but the expectation effect, very, very timely book. Uh, just that's a great one. Different things going on in my life, but it's, yeah, it, it sort of gave me that like reaffirmative kick in the ass of like, yeah, man, stay optimistic. Like, yeah. Mindset. Yeah. Like expect the best. It's funny, but uh, yeah, on a side note, just back to the Atia thing, I got, my wife just sent me this article today. There's something called a Huberman husband. Which is now like a oh, character yeah. of a male that wants to live forever that tapes his mouth when he goes to sleep and Austin stares into the yep. sun and <laughs> <laughs> farmer walks half the morning and, yep. you know, yep. lift heavy things, man. lift heavy things, <laughs> do hard things. Uh, in the last few years, Dustin, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? Completely letting go of judgment. You know, I like that one. Like you can't disrespect me. You can't make me feel any way other than how I want to feel like, you know, I like we only feel what we feel because of our own internal choices. And, uh, yeah, I, I have people that have come at me and, and I can tell, wow, this person really wants me to feel awful. And, uh, is that valid? And in most cases it's not in my opinion, sometimes, Hey, I have done something wrong. And, and then I genuinely feel awful. I feel the shame I'm supposed to feel. And I apologize, but I've really let go of a lot of judgment and I've really begun to realize just how much as we get older is going on in people's worlds that they are not going to tell you about. Yeah. And therefore, when someone is losing their mind on you or, or, or causing you problems or moving more slowly than they feel like that, 
you know, there, there's probably a backstory. And probably what that person needs is not an argument. They need some slack. Yeah. And uh, it's almost like that, that kind of old joke when someone, you know, picks on you and you just put your hand on their forearm and say, I'm sorry, but who hurt you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, but not being quite that much of a smartass about it. Uh, but I, 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 I make a lot more time for people who are upset. I, I know you are, but what am I? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Question number three, what have you been binge watching lately or a movie recommendation? I've done a good job of not binge watching anything. Good um, for you. I think we're the TV. only ones watching I know. TV I feel like days. I'm, I've hit like a record high. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I sold the TV. I got rid of Netflix. I canceled Crave. I, I unplugged from everything. Every time Billions comes out with another season, I sign back up for Crave. I watch Billions and maybe I get sucked into one or two other things. But, you know, it's one of those shows that I really love season two and three, but I'm kind of, now I'm just, I'm like, I'm logging time here. I'm, yeah. I'm, it's not, it's not bad, but it's not, it's not great TV. If I was going to binge watch anything, I would binge, I would, I would watch Breaking Bad all over again and The Wire. Yeah. I would go back and watch The Wire and Breaking Bad. That's. Uh, did you do Succession? I did. Yeah. 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 I watched Succession as well. And then, what are your yeah. thoughts on The Sopranos? Of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, the, the key to The Sopranos, apparently, I've never watched the last episode. Oh, wow. I, I, I know. I managed to not watch the last oh, episode. Oh, my God. Which all my friends thought I was insane. Like, what do you mean you didn't watch it? Yeah. I'm like, I just, I'm worried it's going to suck and I don't want to know how it, it ends. No, it you know what? Suck. Don't watch the movie, though. The, the, the movie, movie from a couple yeah. years ago that came out with, uh, yeah. A couple years ago now? Jeez. The least, yeah. Be, yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, yeah I, could I, would, re, I could rewatch that. I mean, I like you know, we Most guys love that mafia stuff. Yeah, so. it is. I've I <laughs> feel like good. every year, eighteen months, I rewatch it, and it's like never gets every old. Christmas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can hear the I can hear the the opening uh, jingle in my head now. <laughs> I'm going to play it in the, in the truck on the way home. Uh, favorite band or music or something that you've been listening to lately? You know what? I, I'm I'm just going to say 5440 is a good Canadian because we were lucky enough at our uh, annual conference in Vancouver here last year. Uh, we brought in 5440 for the Commodore Ballroom and they they rocked. And I'm telling you, I haven't had a drink in nine years and uh, vodka told me I was a good dancer, but it turns out vodka lied. <laughs> so without vodka in my life, I don't have dancing in my life. But I was on the dance floor and my right knee was moving and my right hip was moving and I almost got the left one going, but uh, it's kind of a running, running joke with a few people right now. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll tell you, man, it was, and, I, and I've been, I've been hitting replay on, on some of the old, uh, like casual viewing the 5440 album. And, yeah. Uh, that's, that's good stuff. It's good recommendation. Last but not least, something that you've purchased for under $1,500 that has had a positive impact on your life. I feel like the last time my answer was uh, my Whistler Blackcomb Seasons Pass, which definitely had a positive impact. I went from one day a year to 40 days a year. Right. Wow. And, uh, and the Seasons Pass makes it work, especially when you live in Squamish, because at noon, you're like, you know what? It's an hour from now, I can yeah. be on the mountain and I can ski for a couple hours and that's okay. That's yeah. reasonable value. And you, you don't have to like stay for eight or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, having that season's pass instead of say a 10 day pass, it, it, it makes half days doable. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's been killer. But then I can also say that I bought myself a nice big fat pair of black crows skis. Uh, which also falls into that oh. category, I guess. And turns out ski, ski ski technology has improved over the last 12 years. So 
I was due. I, uh, I, I was skiing with a bunch of people wearing black crows late last season and I was using my not black crows <laughs> and there's a, yeah, I mean, they were better skiers than me, but I was like, oh my God, but those are, I guess they're the ski of the hour right now. You know what? There's something about having like 120, I think it's 122 mil underfoot with a little bit of rocker and uh, it, they're, they're just a hoot. And they're a great looking ski. That they, they they look great and they feel great and uh, yeah I mean if you, if you got the ability to get out there and, and get some fresh air in the mountains you got to do it fantastic well how can people find out more about what you're doing Dustin and you do uh, you produce a lot of content yeah I've, I guess I have my own podcast uh, this is brokering which is primarily of interest to mortgage brokers <laughs> um, as would the books be they'd be primarily of interest to somebody interested in becoming or who has recently become a mortgage broker but yeah you can track me down on be the better broker.com or the good old google machine uh, there's lots of different you know, linkedin profile facebook etc and uh yeah that's me in a nutshell well thanks again for taking the time and uh, coming down to the studio and always a pleasure having you on the show gentlemen i appreciate the time So there you have it, folks, our discussion with the president of Mortgage Architects, Dustin Woodhouse. And should say, Matt, author of Be the Better Broker series as well. And those books, they're fantastic. I, I, I have I've read, uh, have I read all three? I don't know. The first one blew my mind. Yeah, I know that. It's really impressive. And we used to actually subscribe. I don't know if he's doing it anymore, but we used to subscribe to his email list back in the day. He's like the Seth Godin of the... Uh, he actually had like a, an amazing newsletter that was like really thoughtful and went out, I think, once a week. And right. There's always huge takeaways. But anyways, yeah, it's it was great having him back on the show. People always love listening to Dustin Woodhouse. Uh, there's always huge takeaways. He's a, so. he's a compelling figure. And you know, it's interesting because I feel like, and this is nothing to do with Dustin and more to do with just the way people interpret the the world of real estate. But years ago when he said, hey, your house is going to double within 10 years. It's like, oh yeah, industry shill, blah, blah, blah. But you know, look at this. He's he's totally, the facts on the ground totally change interpretations of what's going to happen. And you know, he's just, he's calling it as he sees it. Yeah, no. And uh, yeah, it does make you think, eh? I was thinking towards the end of that conversation, the only thing about Vancouver though, and uh, I should have brought this up, but like last year, when the market, when you see a bit of a push in the market, the problem always is the inventory. Yeah. So you see like, you know, we were seeing three, four percent a month in some markets, right? I know it does. It it jumps quick when it when it when it moves. So that's the only thing that the inventory thing to me is is just makes it hard to imagine that will stay relatively. Well, and and I think that was what Dustin was grappling with exactly what you're talking about, right? Is like, am I going to sell? Absolutely not. Because you've been we've all operated in this market long enough where you just see the spikes and people were saying it didn't make sense in 2012. Right. And it still doesn't, and it probably never will. <laughs> you know, I, I remember when people were saying a thousand a foot for new construction downtown was crazy. Yeah. You know, it's wild to to think that you have this, uh, you know, this ceiling in your mind of where the market can go and then the market exceeds it. Absolutely. Uh, what else do we have before we cut for the day, Adam? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live, including the uh, Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer. You get stats before anyone else, different types of stats. If you want to 
you know, go deep into the data and focus on a certain neighborhood. The Livewire is the place for that. We also have Deal of the Month on there and uh, a host of VIP access for pre-sales. VIP access now includes, of course, very interesting incentives offered. Right. So that's a live wire. We also have, of course, tried and true, private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available on our site. Buy with us at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And man, what a great time to be monitoring the market because we are starting to see some real deals in this market and stuff hang around. Yeah, and and price drops too. And you get alerted on all that. Exactly, exactly. And I just want to just plug a future episode because he was in the studio yesterday as well. Jordan McDonald from Fabric, president or CEO of Fabric. What a force. What a force, exactly. Great conversation with him yesterday. That's going to be coming soon. We've got a great AI episode coming as well. Artificial intelligence, right? That's what that means. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm actually, it's really exciting about the resources that are coming into real estate through AI. And and it's just a, it's a great conversation that's coming up. We've got so many good episodes and so many people lined up for the coming months. So stay tuned. Absolutely. If you want to talk about any of that, except AI, I don't know much about it. 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me, the AI whiz at (laughs) 778-866-4574. And we got that Kokomo line, of course, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Have a good week and uh, we'll see you back next week. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.